I'm going to ask you this morning to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to be in our lesson again, Old Church Arise. And today we're going to take a look at putting on the armor of God. The armor of God. Now I'm going to tell you today we're going to look at one verse. That one verse being Ephesians 6.13. Next week we will look at the individual pieces of the armor. Now let me share something with you. I want to impress upon you something that I think is absolutely critical and absolutely essential. When we preach on matters such as we're preaching today, the devil stirs. He stirs. And the devil has been stirring. I could tell you this from personal experience this week. And I can tell you from my own personal experience how the enemy does not want messages like these to go forward. So, it is incumbent that you be praying that the Spirit of God would move among us. And I also want to share this. We do not need to adopt a victim mentality. So the devil's stirring. Great. We don't have to be all, woe is me, you know, what's going to happen, all these other different things, because we war, we war in the victory, and we war not for the victory. The victory has been secured. Satan has been defeated. It's funny, one day this week I had, a, um, had an experience where I had a dream. And in the dream were, you know, all things I did, past sins, past sins, and it was as if the enemy was just trying to accuse and accuse. Because that's what he does, right? He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser of the brethren. And I got up and I got up a little bit rattled and then I said, you're going to remind me of my past? All right, Satan, I'm going to remind you of your future. Here's your future. You're going to be bound in the bottomless pit. You're going to seek for relief, but there will be none. You're going to seek for mercy and no mercy will be given. You will be judged along with your demons, along with your principalities, along with all the others. You will for eternity and eternity be under the judgment of God in the bottomless pit, in the place of hell. So you want to remind me for what I did in the past? Christ took care of that. I'm no longer responsible. But this is your future. Take it to the enemy. Bring the fight to the enemy. Last week we looked at this and we started, uh, the whole purpose of this study was to, you know, for protection against the enemy. And Paul is calling here in this chapter, we looked last week at verses 10 through 12, right? And we were told certain things in 10 through 12, right? We were told that we were admonished to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. To put on the full armor of God that we would be able to stand against the enemy. And we were told who our enemy was and his capabilities. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against um, powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces. And I shared with you last week that the theme of the epistle of Ephesians is the immeasurable blessings that are on Jesus Christ for the believer. The immeasurable blessing. If I were going to divide up the book of Ephesians, it would be divided into three sections. The first section beginning in chapter 1, verse 3, through chapter 3, 21, where Paul talks about the position of the believers. 
And in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, the Apostle says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, which means to overcome the darkness, to be illuminated, so that you may know what the hope of His calling is. What are the riches of His glory, of His inheritance in the saints? What is the surpassing greatness of His power toward those of us who believe? Those are in accordance with the working of the strength of His mind. This is the position of the believers. The position of the believers that we may be enlightened, that we would know the hope of His calling. If I look at the epistle, the second section, he talks about the practice of the believers. Found in chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 9. And in Ephesians 4, 14 through 15, the apostle says this, as our, as our practice as believers, as a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. The practice of the believers is that we would be mature in Christ. That we would be rooted and grounded and firm to Christ. This is what Paul is admonishing. These are the immeasurable blessings for the believers that are in Christ. One, we have an amazing position solidified in Christ. Two, our practice is held and it's rooted in Christ. And then he ends with the third section beginning in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, which is the protection of the believers. And that's where we are in the Word of God. We have been spending our time in the protection of the believers. You know, Peter says that our enemy, Satan, is roaming about like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he may devour. He roams about, if you know anything of any predator, the low-hanging fruit for the predator are the weak. Those that are overwhelmed, those that are beset, those that are not necessarily tethered to Christ. And if you're one of those, if you're not in the Word of God, if you're not in prayer of God, if you're not pursuing the holiness of God, if Christ is not your greatest affection, your greatest longing, your deepest longing, then guess what? You stand in your own strength. And if you stand in your own strength, you become prey for the enemy. You think Satan wants to come against the believer who is rooted and grounded in Christ, who is strong, who is filled in the Spirit of God? There's a sad thing that's happened in the church in these days. You've heard me talk about this before in the past. I call it textualism. A lot of people know the Word of God, and so they, they basically have developed Christian incantations. Oh, say this, and the devil has to go. Say that, and, and you know that, that stops the devil from doing this. Say this, say the other. No way. Listen, no way. It is the Word of God apprehended by faith and faith alone. It is the person who not only knows the Word of God, but believes the Word of God, stands on the Word of God, is firm in the Word of God. 
No incantation that you could develop from Scriptures. One, two, three, if you're not practicing those things, if that is not a part of your life, if by faith you are not holding to the truth of the Gospel, guess what? You're praying. And the enemy is going to seek to come upon you. And so what Paul is encouraging here throughout the epistle of Hebrews is he says, listen, Christian, you have been given a very special position in Christ. Your practice in Christ is rooted and grounded in Christ. And consequently, it is indeed Christ who protects you. It is Christ who will guard you. It is Christ who will deliver you safely to the Father. And I say that, I started out by saying we don't need to have a victim mentality. We need to have a victor mentality because it is our Lord who will deliver us safe unto Christ. In verses uh, we looked at last week, verses 10 through 13, he speaks of the believer's warfare. And the apostle issues our call to war and the expectation of the believer. And we looked at this last week. We are called to be strong in the Lord. We are called to stand armored by the Lord. We are called to stand firm against the enemy. What is it? Charles Dickens' book that begins, A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the times that tried men's souls. These are the days that are trying men's souls. We have come upon the time that has been spoken of. And for those of us that are alive today, these are the times that are going to try us. The only way we stand is being rooted and armored in Christ. This calling is not for the faint of heart. It's not for the cowardly. It's not for the half-hearted. This call is for the Christians that are fully committed to the mission and the work of Christ. Last week we looked at the organization that the enemy had built. And I shared with you from verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness. And it's worth mentioning again. Rulers, principalities, demonic entities that go about attaching themselves to people. They have the ability to possess unbelievers and oppress even believers. These are demonic entities. I tell people all the time, if you would take a picture of this room or any room and you had a special spiritual camera, You would see those angelic forces of God. You would see those demonic forces of Satan. These are in the world. It's my personal belief that there is probably great momentum that is occurring in the demonic fields as we speak right now. Paul says this is what we're fighting against. This is what we're wrestling against. Rulers, principalities. The other one that comes to mind and I shared with you was world forces of this darkness. And I shared with you that these are satanic, demonic influence that moves in the heart of world leaders who knowingly and unknowingly work on behalf of Satan and his agenda throughout the world. 
And I'll tell you what, you just have to put on the news to see this happening real time. You just have to look at things like abortion and the murder of 60 million babies. And now the clamoring, the desire for post-birth abortion. Deliver a baby full term and then end its life. And all of that being masqueraded under the umbrella of choice. A woman's right with her body. Listen, that's the tip of the iceberg of the things that we see that are coming our way. There's child trafficking. How horrific that there are people that are out there that will steal children for the purposes of base, base, base sexual gratification. And the list can go on. We're not going to go through the list. And these world leaders, a lot of these world leaders come together and they, they collude and they're, they're actually doing the work and advancing the satanic agenda. But we are not, as Christians, left alone to that. Thank God that Ephesians 6 doesn't end in verse 12. Ephesians 6 continues on through verse 13 through 19. And today we're going to look at verse 13, where Paul says this, Therefore, and you know that, right? Whenever you see therefore, right? You want to take a look and say, what is it therefore? Therefore means in light of what I just told you. What had he just spoken to us? That we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That we wrestle against principalities and spiritual forces and world forces of darkness. Paul had set the stage. This is your enemy. This is the one who comes against us in the church. And beginning with therefore, he immediately causes us to look back in light of what I just told you about this unseen enemy. In light of what I just told you, I am now going to tell you some things that you as the believer need to know. And let me share this with you, church. I am now going to tell you, if you never heard it before, about things as a believer that we need to know. Paul says this, Therefore take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. I love that. Much like our opposition comes from unseen forces, we have unseen armor and weaponry that has been provided for us that gives us the ability not only to face the enemy but to stand against the enemy and bring the battle to the enemy. Paul's first instruction to the church at Ephesus is this. Notice what comes after therefore. Therefore, Take up. Take up. I want you to focus in on that. In other words, it means to raise up. It means put on the armor that he's going to tell you. Now what would you think of a soldier or marine that goes into battle and before being deployed to the battlefield... You know, they say, well, here's your rifle, here's a certain amount of ammunition you need, here's some grenades, here's your Kevlar, here's all the things you're going to need to go in the battle. And that person goes, I don't need any of that. 
That's right, and you ain't going with me either. You're absolutely right. You'd say you're ludicrous. You're ill-equipped. Your enemy is armed to the teeth. You won't last but a second out on the battlefield. But you know how many Christians do not arm themselves against the enemy? How many Christians live day to day not even entrusting themselves to God? Listen, many people who profess the name of Christ, Monday isn't much different than Sunday. And Tuesday isn't much different than Wednesday. We walk in our routines. We've entrusted ourselves to the cadence of life. We move back and forth with the ebb and flow. When we're victorious, we're marching on. When we're being pushed back, we push back. But never look up. Never embrace the Lord. Never plead to God for His grace, His protection, His power. Never strap on the armor of God. If that's you, you're ill-equipped. The enemy will seek to sift you. The enemy will seek to devour you as he sees you out on the battlefield. And by the way, those who reject church, those who say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, I, I'm, I talk to God all the time, what you miss are the prayers, what you miss are the encouragement, what you miss is standing in the gap with your brothers and sisters in the battle. You know what a blessing it is for me so many times when people say, hey, I've been praying for you. Out of clear blue sky. Hey, I've been praying for you. That tells me that my God has put me on the mind of a brother and a sister and said, they're praying, pray for brother Mark. They don't know what's going on in my life. You know how many times somebody has called me or sent me a text message, said, I'm praying for you. And right at that moment, I needed to hear that word because I was so overwhelmed so, so, so beside myself and the word came in and it was encouraging, it was edifying, it lifted me up. And I'm sure many of you have had that experience where a brother or sister has reached out to you with the word. I try as much as I can, he might make reference, but I try as much as I can, even if it's a text message, say, hey, brother or sister, I'm thinking about you, or send a word of scripture to encourage as much, much as I can. But the admonition of Paul, therefore, in light of what I just told you, in light of these unseen forces, put on the armor of God. Next week we're going to go into detail about the armor of God. The admonition for today is put it on. We'll look at all the various components, but put on that armor. You know, the Roman army was the best equipped military of its time in the, in the first century. And if you look at the Roman armor, the Roman soldiers, the legionnaires, would wear these strips of metal that would come all the way to about their elbows. They would be clad with a breastplate, right? There would be leather straps, so those little strips of metal were connected with leather straps so that they could move. The Roman soldier carried a shield that was about from the floor to here. Right, that was designed to ward off archers that were shooting uh, arrows with them. Right, they had a helmet. They had protection on their feet. Their sandals were spiked so that on the battlefield 
they can grip. They were given two swords. One was a long sword that was designed to slash and thrust. And then on their side, they also had a smaller uh, dagger-like sword that was for up-close killing. They were well-equipped. They worked in, 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 in formations that protected all of them. And when that army went to battle, and they also carried a spear, by the way, and the spear was for throwing long distances, and it was designed also when cavalry came by on their horse, they could spear the horse in the hindquarters, cause the person to fall off the horse, and then assault them with their weapons up close. They went to battle fully prepared. They went to battle fully equipped. Paul is drawing on the imagery of these Roman soldiers here and say, Christian believer, if this is what they're doing to face a, a, a human enemy, here's what you must do to face a spiritual enemy. And the first admonition is put on the full armor of God, not partial. Don't just take a dagger. Don't just put a breastplate. Put on the full armor. Why the full armor? Because we need to be protected completely in the spiritual realm. Put on the full armor of God. And that armor consists of defensive and offensive weapons. It's everything that's needed to wage successful warfare. The armor that Paul speaks of is much like the same. And he tells us why we are to put it on. Why are we to put on this armor? He says that you may be able to resist. Resist. That word means to take a complete stand. A 180 degree contrary position. Church, we need to resist against the culture today. The culture is infiltrated by world powers and demonic influences that's designed and has set its eye not only against the culture, but against the church. And the church, we are called to have a 180 degree different position than the rest of the world. We are to do that consciously. We are to do that holding ground. We are to do that refusing to compromise the message of the gospel. Oh, far too many churches are compromising the message. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, Peter makes this statement. Be a sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But notice he uses the same word. Resist him. Firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. James 4.7 tells us this, Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Now it's not that... You know how many times I've heard that verse bantered about just flippantly? Oh, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Well, you've got to submit yourselves to God. Today is not the day for half-heartedness. Today is the church for every believer to become entrenched, to become immersed in Christ. 
Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He said this. He said, Neither may we hope to gain by being neutral or granting an occasional truth. We are not to cease from conflict and to try to be, uh, be as agreeable as we can with our Lord's foes, frequenting their assemblies and tasting their dainties. No such orders are written here. You are to grasp your weapon and to go forth. There are specific reasons that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to the church in this manner, using that imagery of putting armor on. The reason is quite simple. It is, as believers, we are engaged in warfare. We are engaged in a battle. We are engaged in spiritual war, and our enemy does indeed prowl about like a hungry, ravenous lion. Paul says in verse 13 that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. This is serious business. This term stand firm means making a defensive stand. Not being moved. It gives the illustration of a defensive line consisting of many, many, many troops. And that line being very wide and that line being very deep. But that line stands as the enemy approaches and it does not yield land. When one falls, another moves forward into the slot. The line holds. The line holds. And so Paul's call to the Christian is make a defensive stand for truthfulness. That's what we're attempting to do here. We're trying to make a defensive stand for truthfulness and the integrity of the Gospel. And he tells them not being persuaded by false doctrine, not being intimidated by the culture. But that we would make a stand, we would make a line. It doesn't matter how many people agree, how many people disagree. What matters is what the Word of God says. We will defend that. And by the way, the attack of the enemy, by the way, always begins with attacking the Word of Truth. It always is going to take the Word of Truth. The Gospel. The Word will always be under attack and is under attack today. But in attacking the Word, the enemy seeks to weaken your understanding of the Word. So I want to show you six primary schemes. Six primary schemes that the enemy uses against believers today. Six. This is not intended to be exhaustive. This isn't overwhelming. This isn't all-inclusive. I just want to point out six areas of attack that the enemy uses against Christians in the church. And the first one is sowing doubt. Has God really said? Has God truly said? It was the scheme that was used in the garden when Satan tempted Eve. Has God said? And then he manipulated the Word of God and he appealed to her lust and he appealed to her pride. To get her to move forward. The primary motivation of Satan and the enemy, and it's important that you know this, the primary motivation of Satan and the enemy is to impugn the character of God and impugn God's Word. 
He wants you to think less of God and less of God's Word. If you think less of God and you think less of God's Word, He's already gained the advantage in the battle. Because you don't have a fallback. You have nothing to wield against Him. Satan works hard at sowing doubt in the hearts of believers. He does this. He does this hard when bad things beset us, when things overwhelm us, when people accuse us, when things are done. Immediately, Satan rushes into the void and says, Oh, why does it matter? Where is your God? He's letting you. You're suffering by yourself. He wants to impugn. He wants to bring discredit upon the Lord. For if he can get the believer to believe that God is not good, God does not have His best interests at heart for His children. That His Word is not reliable. It will open the door to a host of other sins. Because if God is not good, and if God doesn't have the best interest, then immediately, in your depraved state, you think, I know what is best for me. And you will pursue it. One area where Satan does this is in the area of forgiveness. Many a Christian is beside themselves because they cannot accept the forgiveness of sins offered in Jesus Christ. I shared with you earlier this morning, Satan is known as the accuser of the brethren. That means he's always throwing charges out, throwing charges out against God's people. And he incessantly murmurs to them, That their sins are unforgivable. Listen, I believed that for the longest time of my life. I I, I had difficulty believing that God had taken my sin and cast it in the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. I had a hard time believing that when God looks at me, He looks at me and goes, oh, it's the guy that did all those other different things. But he, He doesn't look at me in the eyes of Christ, in Christ's perfect righteousness. Oh, how many Christians are beset because they're carrying the guilt and the condemnation of the sins that have already been atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if Satan is able to get you to do that, there's no peace for the believer. No rest. Instead, what happens is anxiety and fear occurring, rendering the believer weak and impotent. And let me tell you something. If you are in Christ, he can't get your soul but He can indeed render you impotent, ineffective for the Gospel. Sowing doubt. The second one is false doctrine. And false doctrine is designed to confuse and to untether you, to pull you off from Christ. And Satan works in the hearts of weak believers, and he works in the hearts of believers that are not Rooted and crowned, Christians that are untaught the Word of God can fall prey to all kinds of schemes of the enemy. My goodness, you know how many times I've seen that? We've had that happen here in our church where people are loosely tethered to Christ and then drift away, drift away believing false teaching and false doctrine. The believer that is confused about proper doctrine of faith cannot be effective for the kingdom. And let me share something. There's a warning here, and the warning is this. Too many people are being discipled by YouTube. Listening to snippets of a video from this one, and listening from snippets of a video from that one, and taking this 
this confusion and weaving it together. This is why we preach the Word of God here. We preach the Word of God on Sunday. We teach the Word of God. Everything we do is the Word of God so that you would be rooted and grounded in the faith and not tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. Satan uses false doctrine to send confusion into the church, to you send division into the church, to cause division between brother and sister and sister and brother within the church. Without a strong foundation, many of these folks, even some believers, become willing sheep for false shepherds who deceitfully manipulate them and the Word of God for their own sordid gain. If I had a dime for every time I saw this man, I would be a rich man today. So we see the first one is he sows doubt. The second one is he sows false doctrine. Here's a big one. The third one. Persecution, difficulties, temptations. Satan attempts to force Christians to disobey God by unleashing persecution against believers. This has been since the first century. Listen to the words of Jesus, John 16, 33. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Matthew 24, 9. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations on the account of my name. This tactic has been since day one. Many believers have had to pay for their faith by losing jobs, families, their lives for the sake of Christ. I've shared this with you time and time again. 75% of Christians live under persecution. That Christians, in a general sense, are the number one people persecuted people group in the world. You hear about every other group. You don't hear that on the news, do you? That Christians are indeed the number one persecuted people group all over. And by the way, Christians, Satan uses, by the way, in this realm, he uses fear of criticism, fear of isolation, and fear of acceptance by others. And he uses that to lead believers to compromise their faith in Christ, right? Because nobody wants to be rejected. So he uses that peer pressure to bring about persecution, to cause Christians to shrink away from the proper proclamation of the gospel. And that is why indeed the Lord has encouraged us that in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? For I have overcome the world. If Satan can be successful in one or more of these areas, if he will get you to compromise, if he will get you to shrink, you have just opened the door for Satan to come in with more tactics. 
against you. The fourth one, disobey God's Word. This is a huge problem for believers and a huge problem within the church. Satan tempts believers to disobey God, God's Word by appealing how? To our pleasures, our lusts, and our desires. Sin always, always, never reveals the true consequence of sin, does it? It is always appealing, it always looks good, and it's always something that, that will come to us for us to be able to apprehend and say, oh, I, you know, it's not that bad, I can do this, I can do that, the other thing. But it never truly reveals the, the, the negative effect that it will have. Satan tempts believers to disobey God's Word by appealing to their pleasures. Downing God's Word leads to disobedience of God. Just a commentary, we're in a period of time now when more and more people who profess to be Christians are disobeying the Word of God. When believers disobey the Word of God, they're missing out on the blessings that God has in store for them. But at the same time, they're incurring the disciplines that God will bring along that if you are a believer in Christ. And when the disciplines come, when the consequences of sin come, when the consequences of disobedience come, generally who do they blame? They blame God. Oh God, why are you doing this to me? Oh God, why has all of this befallen me? They don't. Blame themselves. And the reason is because they doubt God's Word. Once again, I share this with you. The goal of the enemy is to impugn God's character and God's Word that He can no longer be trusted. The fifth element. I call it lofty speculation. This is over-intellectualizing, deep philosophy of men. Professing to be wise, they become fools. Colossians 2.8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. The philosophical, theoretical thoughts of men that seek to elevate earthly wisdom over the wisdom of God. The academics, the liberal theologians who twist or worse yet integrate human wisdom with Scripture and sound so intelligent. They profess to be wise, as Paul says in Romans. But they become fools in denying the Word of God and the very God of eternity. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5 says this, Paul speaking, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, 
but on the power of God. What is lacking in the church today is not to have people who can speak with lofty vocabulary and lofty philosophical concepts, but who can speak in the power of God and the power of God and the demonstration of that power, as Paul said, would be the definitive thing that the church would be known for. And number six, and this is a biggie too, Satan will attack with hurtful words from other Christians. Satan attacks through the words of others within the church, hurtful, vengeful, and misinterpreted words that cause hurt and disappointment. Words taken out of context will also be manipulated by our enemy to cause harm. This is a big problem in the church. And one of the biggest problems is in the church, we do not confront in a godly fashion. So either we retreat, we dwell and we meditate, and when we dwell and meditate upon those words, Satan gets a hold of our mind, it speculates what the words mean. It puts things, and then the next thing you know, division is caused. That's why the Lord encouraged us. If you have something against the brother, go to that brother. Leave your offering there, man. Take care of business. Go to that brother. What did you mean by that? Did I understand you correctly? You know, what happened? It doesn't say wait for them to come to you. It says you go to them. And Satan will use this strategy, the hurtful words, the uh, misinterpreted words, sometimes the vengeful words. Listen, I've, see, I've been in churches for a long time, and I've seen many people say some things that will cause my eyeballs to pop out of my head and say, did they say that? And some of you come from a church where past history was hurtful, spiteful, vengeful words. I praise God. And this is why we need unity in the church. This is why we need to bear one another's burdens. This is why we need to esteem others as better than ourselves. Rather than right away go to the holster and pull out the gun and go charging in and say, what did you mean? And bang, 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 bang. We go to them in the spirit of love with the purpose of reconciling, with the purpose of unity in the church and come together and say, Hey, let's fix this thing. Satan uses that as a strategy to cause division, to cause hurt, to cause discouragement. You know how many people I've talked to in my life say, I don't go to church. Why don't you go to church? Because way back when I went to church and these people were the biggest hypocrites. Isn't that the biggest thing you hear today? The church is full of hypocrites. I like what John MacArthur says. Someone went up to him and said, hey, the church is full of hypocrites. And John MacArthur said, we're always willing to take one more. The church is filled with not perfect people. If I look back to Christ and I look at the eleven, they were not perfect people. Heck, a week before Christ goes to the cross, they're walking down the road talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This after Christ is telling them, hey, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He's going to be turned over to the hands of sinful men. He's going to be tried. He's going to die, right? And James and John and the other guys are over there. Hey, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have the top seat and, and you're going to be down there. And they're arguing back and forth. You know, I often wonder with Jesus going, Whoa. 
What's going on? The church is not filled with perfect people. I can disappoint you. Someone else could disappoint you. Don't ever look at me for perfection. I'm probably the most jacked up person in this whole church. But the point is, we are forgiven people. We're people of love. And our primary purpose as the church is to be unified. So that in unity we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many more things we could add to this list to his strategies. This is not intended, as I said, to be exhausted, but rather to raise an awareness. It is in these areas that a believer can and should expect spiritual attacks. Which is why Paul says in 6.13, put on the armor of God. Put it on. Get ready to enter the battle. Here's the truth. You're in the war whether you're armed up or not. You're in the war whether you set foot and you're moving forward on the battlefield or whether you're staying in the rear with the gear. But you are in the war. And our enemy is out there. He seeks to devour. He seeks to devour. He wants to break apart. He wants to tear. He wants to rip. And he wants to cause embarrassment and shame to the church of Jesus Christ. After hearing a message such as this, sometimes you might be inclined to say, well, what are we to do? Paul is speaking to believers, and in the text, this is why he encourages believers to put on the armor of God. I want to make a distinction here. Paul is talking to believers. Believers. If you are not a believer, you're going to be devoured. You will be praying. Only in Christ and Christ alone are we able to resist. Are we able to stand firm against the scheme of the enemy? It's only believers who have been equipped by God. So we can, and I started this by saying not having a victim mentality, but having a victor mentality, we can indeed hold fast against the enemy. We fight in the victory, not for the victory. The battle is won. The enemy is defeated, as I shared with you from the beginning. When Satan comes upon you, remind him about his future, where he's going. Remind him what is already predestined for him. That he will be in that bottomless pit. That he will be bound. That he will deceive the nations no more. That God will render judgment upon him. And all heaven will sing, the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. That's a certainty. That's a day. You don't have to go home from church and go, oh my God, what am I going to do? I hope the Satan doesn't attack me. He's going to attack you. Stand firm in the Lord and in the strength of His might. But that's if you're a believer. For those that aren't believers, for those who have not repented of their sins, those who have not experienced the new birth in Christ, you have no power. 
other than the power of yourself. And I'm here to tell you today, you are no match for Satan. And that is not enough to resist. So if you're not a believer, I call to you to heed the Word of God. Isaiah 45, 22, Turn to me and be saved, all ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Turn to Him and be saved from every part of this world and come to Christ and be saved. John 3, 3, Our Lord said, Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It is impossible. It's not, you're not able to. You must be born again. Luke 13.5, our Lord tells us, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What is repentance? Turning from your sin completely and turning to God. It's doing the 180. You are heading south. Now you turn around and you head due north. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given unto heaven among men by which we must be saved. Acts 16.31 Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So for those who are unsaved, those that are alone on the battlefield, one-on-one against the enemy, cry out to God for mercy from the depths of, you, from the depths of your soul. None of us deserve His grace. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus stated in John 6.37, All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Isn't that a great, great promise? That all who turn to me shall come to me. All the ones that I call shall come to me. And him who comes to me, I'm not going to say get out of here. You don't belong on my team. Why sit under the pending judgment of God? Why persist in your religious formalism or worse yet your atheism? Turn to the only one that can forgive sin and save. This morning, turn to Christ. Entrust yourself completely and wholly to Him. Heed the words of Christ and Scripture. Come and be saved. And know the victory over your sin, over this world, and over the devil. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, we bless You and praise You this morning, O God. And we pray, O God, that there would be none here that reject the gospel. That even if in our midst, Lord God, there be anybody who has participated in this church, perhaps only you know that they're unsaved, Father. That, Father, if at this moment through the power of the Holy Spirit you are drawing them to yourself, that they would repent and turn to Christ. Extend your hand, O God.
just saved. I know that there are many in this church that are overwhelmed. There are many in this church that right now are being under the attack of the enemy. There are some in this church that the enemy has desired to sift you like wheat. You may not have said anything to anybody about it. But you know, you're being tried. I'm speaking this to the believer now, to the believer. One of the things, one of the primary roles of the church is that we are to intercede for one another. But we can't intercede where we don't know. So if you are overwhelmed by the enemy, if you know that you're under attack, listen, I just want you to raise your hand so at the end of this, we will pray. Who is under attack? By? I see that, brother. Amen. 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 anybody else say pastor pray for me amen amen praise god listen don't be afraid don't be afraid i'm not going to ask you to do anything else i just want to know so that i could see and i could pray is there anyone else amen amen i see those i see those amen i see those I said to somebody this week, Satan is at work and he's attacking in our church. He is moving against many. And he'll move using your children. He'll move using your family. He'll move using your job. Sometimes the people that are closest to you. Now listen, church, I'm going to ask you right now. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to go to the Lord in intercessory prayer. That God would intercede. But listen to me, it doesn't end here. Because when you get home, you need to pray. You need to be diligent. You need to be beseeching the Lord and clinging to the Lord, and putting on the armor of God. But as we go to the Lord in prayer, will you pray with me? Don't be silent. Pray in your heart as I pray. Let's let a voice come up from the church here to the throne of God, asking God, Father, help. Help your people. Mighty God, as your people, we come before you, Father. And Father, we bless and praise your name. And we exalt your name. And Father, we fear not the enemy, Lord God. For Father, we are sons and daughters of the living God. The living God who spoke the world into creation. The living God who has appointed judgment to the enemy. To every principality. To every demon. To every ruler. To every world force of darkness. Father, You are the sovereign God. 
Therefore, Father, we beseech you. Father, as one church, we lift our voice to your God. Father, pour out your grace upon your people. Father, that you would arm us in your strength that we would indeed stand firm in the strength of the Lord and in the strength of your might, O God. That you would weaponize us, that you would armor us, Lord. That together as one church we would form a defensive line that cannot be broken. I pray for every brother and sister, Lord, here today who simply signified by raising their hand, Lord God, pray for me because I'm under attack. Pray for me because the enemy is at work in my life. Pray for me. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of them would go home today, Lord. And Father, You would cause them to come back into this chapter, to read the Word of God, to help them understand their position in Christ, Lord God, and the protection that You afford and You provide, Lord. Father, in areas of lives where where sin is abounding, Lord, that they would repent and turn from sin and turn to Christ completely. Where in areas of their life where they lost the joy of the Lord, may the joy of the Lord be their strength. And may they come, O God, and bow down before You and that You would be their God And they would be their people. We pray for perseverance. We pray for endurance. And Father, we pray that we would wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, against the enemy. Arm us to the teeth, Lord God, that we would be found faithful, that we would indeed fight the good fight, We would keep the faith and we would finish the course, Lord, so that that great day henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day and not only me, but all who love his appearing, says the apostle. So we thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.